I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome everyone to another episode from our special podcast series rounding out 2022 as we look through some of the highlights of the year that you are voting for in the Motorsport Magazine Awards. I'm Chris Medland and to look back at the shortlists for the best race and best track this year, yes two, uh, I'm joined by someone who has raced in pretty much all of them and someone who has commentated on pretty much all of them. We've got Julian Palmer. Chris Medland, what an honour it is to be with you. Oh, thank you very much and uh we're also, are we honoured to also be joined by Jack Nichols? <laughs> Not as honoured as having Jolie and Palmer, of course, but we're, you know, we're, a, we're two for one, isn't it? It's two for one. You get Palmer, you get Nichols if you want him. I, I was going <laughs> to say, I feel like I've got the dream team back together for this podcast. It feels like there's, like, it must have been at least a few weeks since you two have recorded something together. Uh, yeah, it would when's, have been. When's I this going know. out, actually? Because it might be in the future that we've got something more coming out. Oh, yeah. The, the last checker flag. Checker Flag podcast Christmas special. So, yeah, if we're allowed to cross promote here, then I mean, that, that is it. still to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to stop you, but um, uh, I don't actually know quite how quickly we'll turn this round. So, who knows? We'll be first on that front. But, uh, Jolyn, you've been analysing races and co commentating a lot this season. Just how have you found uh, 2022? Uh, well, it was obviously a big year because the rule changes. And I have to say, I quite enjoyed it. Obviously, the 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 big thing is there wasn't a championship battle, which is a great shame. We were spoiled in 2021. I mean, it was like the season of all time last season. So uh, I think this year was always going to be uh, struggling to live up to it. The early races, I, it was I was so hopeful that we were going to go better, but it just didn't happen. But I still think we we had some some cracking races. We did have a, have a few, and um, Jack, I'm. Going to ask you about Formula One. I just want you to remember that because I know you're in Valencia right now talking Formula E, but uh, you were very much across the whole season, weren't you? What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, Jolian's right. Last season was, for me, the greatest season in F1 history. Yeah, okay, I've only been watching F1 since the since the 90s, but even when you look back at the, you know, the great famous fights of the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, you never had two title contenders that close and it going down to the wire and them going wheel to wheel on so many occasions, you know, because I remember, you know, people think about like Senna and Prost and I've spoken to people who watched all those races and who covered those races. And it was like, well, yeah, one race Senna would win it. And then the next race Prost would win it. And the amount of time that they were actually fighting each other was, was really rare. So we were really treated to it last season. I there's 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 maybe an argument to say there were, there were better races this season on the whole because, of course, you had the new regs, as Jolian said, which did make racing a bit better and a bit more competitive. So, yeah, we didn't get the overall title fight. But even towards the end of the of the season, when the championship was done, still had some good races. 
And it, it, the start of the season as well was when it was we were fresh off the Verstappen Hamilton stuff from twenty one, and then you're thrust into a Verstappen Leclerc, and they're going wheel to wheel all the time. And those first handful of races was like, wow, this is two championship challengers going at it again. And now they can race each other, obviously with the new cars that I think it improved the racing and it was really exciting. But then uh, Red Bull just blew the competition away and Verstappen nailed it. But the start of the year was was really gripping on that same way. Well, uh, it's funny you should mention the start of the year because we're going to run through the shortlists now. Um, And there's two shortlists for this special edition podcast because they're fairly similar. Um, Now, our listeners and readers are are voting on these at motorsportmagazine.com and there's a clear difference I should outline in the two sets of shortlists. So for best race, the criteria is based on drama, excitement, and overtaking. And for this, the shortlist is the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, the Spanish Grand Prix, the British Grand Prix, and the Hungarian Grand Prix. Now, I've seen some frowns. This is the first time both of you have heard this shortlist as well. So, uh, <laughs> Jack, thoughts on that shortlist? It, uh, it wasn't a frown. It was more of a, what happened in Spain? Um the Spanish Grand Prix, Verstappen won, Leclerc, oh, he blew, Leclerc oh, blew yeah, up, didn't he? that was dramatic, actually, and Verstappen had a spin, he went into the gravel, didn't he, and Sainz he went did. into the gravel, you know what, that was all right, yeah, there was drama in that, I'll give him that. And Russell led, actually, when you said Spain, I was like, well, this is, we're clutching at straws, aren't we, yeah, really <laughs> but actually, it was all right, thinking back, and Russell was suddenly in the lead of his, of his well, the first race with Mercedes that he was leading. Yeah, we had a well, bit of I'm team cool. orders, didn't we? Absolutely. So I'm glad you both uh, reacted that way. I will give you a little kind of rundown of each race as we get to them. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, what I think is maybe the most controversial choice. So uh, it's still a good one on there. But we'll go for the circuit of the year shortlist now, which is awarded to the track that gave us the best racing and atmosphere. So a bit more to it. And that's between Zandvoort, Suzuka, Circuit of the Americas and Interlagos. So, Jolene, how about those four? Strong, strong. Yeah, I mean, Suzuka was half a race, wasn't it? So that's uh, you're already struggling a little bit with that uh, one. Jolene, but... I think you'll find it was full points. <laughs> it was full points, but it wasn't a full race. <laughs> but the rest of them were the rest of them were were right up there. And Suzuka, the crowd's always brilliant. Well, the reason it's circuit of the year, I think, is because the race itself probably can't be classified as race of the year. But uh, Jack, you happy with those four? Have you got anything that stands out that should have been on there? I'd probably be putting Brazil into into race of the year or race weekend of the year, to be honest. I think I think I don't think we've ever had as good a qualifying session sprint and race in the history of Formula One. Obviously, sprints are only new, but the Brazil, I thought that was just a tremendous weekend. So I hope that wins something. Well, hang on, what was the other one we've we've got there? We got uh Zambor, we got Japan, we got Brazil plus Kota. So Austin? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay, a good, a good selection. Well, well Jack, you're a man after my own heart because um, I ranted on the uh, season review podcast about the fact that Brazil wasn't on there because it came too late for us finalising the shortlist. Uh, and then was told, no, that was wrong. They just chose not to put it in that shortlist. So um, I, I outed the team. You can't be finalising the shortlist before the end of the season. That feels, that feels a bit... <laughs> to be fair to them, they didn't. I thought they had. But uh, those are the two <laughs> shortlists that uh, you can go and vote on uh, at motorsportmagazine.com at the moment, along with the categories for best driver, best team, best overtake and the Hall of Fame. But let's start with the race of the year. And the first one is actually the second of the season in Saudi Arabia. It had a huge crash for Mick Schumacher in qualifying. Sergio Perez was on pole, but then another epic fight between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc for the win. 
Now, Jolie, in the season, as you said, was off to a flyer at this point. And it was wasn't it just great to see two drivers and two teams fighting it out for so long for the win? Yeah, I really enjoyed Saudi. And I think also because it was round two and you've got to remember that it was just straight after Bahrain. Well, they, they were back-to-back, weren't they, at the start of the season? Mm-hmm. And Bahrain, you had this three-lap fight between Leclerc and Verstappen and it was all really fair, nicely fought out. Then the two of them are going back at it in, in Jeddah. Lap after lap, Verstappen finally gets through and you think it's and you think it's done. But then Leclerc's hounding him for the last few laps and there was a yellow flag right at the end that... that saved Verstappen's bacon probably it was a really cool it was a really cool race I, I, I was like I was wetting myself in the commentary box in those opening couple of races they were so good just the excitement level was through the roof Jack you put them up the same wetting myself in the commentary box didn't you <laughs> no, I wasn't with no. Jack in the commentary box though <laughs> no exactly that's why he was engaged in it but I think that uh Saudi <laughs> Saudi was great actually and um that was that felt like the first race where well, we sort of realized how powerful the, the DRS was, didn't we? Because if you were within a second at the start of those sort of twisty bits at, what is it, turn eight or nine or something like that, when, when you get it, you can get close enough to then be close enough for the second DRS zone and then have a chance at overtaking. And so that was when we sort of realized just how powerful the, the DRS was going to be. And you could keep in contention over, the, over a whole lap, which was, which was quite exciting. But I think you humbug it a little bit because of the DRS, don't you, Saudi? Uh, I think it was good. No, 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 no. All I'm saying was it the DRS was more powerful this year because of the new cars. I am a bit humbuggy about DRS. The FIA have said they're going to look into shortening DRS zones for next season, potentially, because we don't like a drive-by. Some of Saudi was a drive-by, but broadly speaking... I, I did think it was a it was a good race. I am a, against DRS, but it's, it's sort of a necessary evil, really, because of the way that the regulations have gone. And I thought that was great. And don't in that race as well, we had the start of the Ocon Alonso war at Alpine, which was which was a lot of fun as well. So I I, I enjoyed and Saudi. I find, I think Saudi for me, when I'm watching, it's the scariest racetrack. I am on like the edge of my seat the whole time, and it started with last because it's just so quick and nuts and it feels like a track that sort of i'm surprised formula one's allowed to race there right but it is for whatever reason and as a result it's 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 really i don't know i'm on the edge of my seat the whole time watching cars around there i think what saudi gets credit for for me is the fact that you had someone lining up and overtake they would finally make it through but then they wouldn't escape. And exactly. was, the same way as the Verstappen-Leclerc battle, you thought, oh, that's dead now. Verstappen's got it, but he hadn't. And the same with Alonso and Ocon. Alonso was, what, he was behind Ocon, then he got through, but then Ocon was trying to come back through and they were swapping places. Okay, the DRS was the major factor, but also the cars being better and the track lending itself really well to that style of racing. It was it was really good old-fashioned racing. And we had Ocon holding Norris off by about a tenth of a second at the line as well uh, on the final lap, which was, I think, a repeat of uh, Ocon and Bottas from a few races before at the same venue. So, yeah, there was a, a lot going on. Um, that track does seem to deliver drama, but it's not for best circuit, as we'll run through later. Now, we're going to move on to what I think is probably the most controversial pick of the shortlist, the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, 
but it's perhaps deserving of its spot for showing just how much progress has been made with these new cars because you had Leclerc retiring from a comfortable lead, Verstappen going off and having DRS issues that left him trying to fight through and then the most memorable part surely was the incredible scrap between Verstappen and George Russell uh, going through turns one, two and three and, and having that fight for what was then becoming the lead of the race. Uh, how good was that kind of that bit of racing, Jolien? Because it's the first time we saw George getting the chance to fight the front, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was nice. It was. Uh, it, it's a long shot this one because there was. I think there are other stronger races, but this one was a nice race with Russell finally getting a chance. Hamilton was on his charge from the back, but he was sort of showing what Mercedes could also do, but in the complete other way. Whereas Russell was out front. The only thing with the Russell fight, I, it felt like. If he had pulled that off for a win, it would have been one of the all-time great drives. It just felt like at some point he was going to get swamped. But the racecraft that he showed was was really good. The fight with Max was good. Obviously, the DRS issues helped the helped the fight a little bit. It was it was a nice race, I think. And I think if you're counting drama in this, Leclerc retiring with a mechanical problem from the lead, that's that's some big big drama. Yeah, the rest of the season it got a bit boring, but at the time that was quite novel like Ferrari having a reliability problem. Because until that point, all we'd done was slam Red Bull for their terrible reliability for retiring from two of the first three races. So that was a huge moment when Leclerc retired. You also had the reliability issues that the two Mercedes drivers had, because in the final laps, Russell had to back right off. So did Hamilton. And they were both told basically they were unlikely to finish the race. And Hamilton, having got ahead of Carlos Sainz uh, into fourth, then had to give it back up. Uh, in the closing few stages. Valtteri Bottas only got to him with another top six. Alonso went from last to the points. There was a lot going on. And also, don't forget the um, the Verstappen and Sainz through the gravel at turn four. And I think Barcelona, the track itself is actually pretty nice to drive, but because everyone knows it so well, it becomes a bit boring. You know it. You know the track so well. Every curb that you have to be on, all the preseason testing, everything's there. You know how even the track rubbers in and stuff. But it seemed like the wind picked up on, on race day and it caught out even the, the best drivers in the field. So it takes a few points for that. A little bit of un- unpredictability. But when was the last time also someone retired from the lead with a mechanical? Before that Leclerc one. Doesn't happen very often, does it? No. It happened very in true. Spain with Mika Hakkinen in what, 1999 or 2000 or something, didn't it? Hamilton like on the last lap. 2016. Yeah. I'll, I'll raise you that. But it doesn't happen very often. So I, I think Barcelona can get a bit of credit for randomness in the Grand Prix and and, and some nice tussles. And if you've well, got I don't Barcelona's... Know if randomness was a, was a category we were judging on. <laughs> Drama but... I think so. you've, you've also got to judge it on Barcelona's base level of a Grand Prix and, you know, yeah. compare it to that. And this was a worldie. Well, that's what expectation versus reality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why we have best, best uh, circuit. Well, I that... think Monaco wins then. Monaco wins. <laughs> Well, sadly, not on the shortlist. But, I mean, you can vote for it if you want. Um, Actually, you can't. It's not an option. But we'll move on to one that I don't think needs any selling. And it's the British Grand Prix. Because a first pole and first win for Carlos Sainz, um, who I believe became the fifth or sixth driver with the word car in his name to take a pole and a win in Formula One. Uh, Had to to make Saunders for that gag that he just was delighted with all year. Uh, But some of the most iconic and dramatic moments of the season occurred further back. Let's start with the good... How incredible was the racing after the late safety car and specifically that fight for second between Perez, Hamilton and Leclerc? I mean, uh, Jack, I'll start with you on this one. It must have been wild to commentate on. Are you throwing me under the bus here, Palmer? Was this intentional? 
I didn't actually cover the British Grand Prix. I was in uh, I was in I was in Marrakesh doing Formula E. So that that uh, Sunday night in Marrakesh, downloaded the race and sat in my hotel room and watched it, and it was just amazing, just brilliant, and quite annoying not to have not to have covered it. So yeah, that Hamilton coming through and going past two people. I mean, you know, it was a broadcast for the ages from Palmer and Harry Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It saves you just plagiarizing my answers there. I thought you go first. See what you see. What research you've done. That was <laughs> that was one of the moments. The uh, the Hamilton part. It was just really cool how uh, you had so many different drivers look like they were going to win the race at one point. You had Sainz on pole because already, by the way, the qualifying was quite dramatic in the, in, in the rain at the end. Um, then Verstappen takes the lead. Sainz makes a bit of an unforced error. Verstappen leads. Looks like he's going to have an easy win, has damage. Science then comes back through, but then Leclerc's quick, even though he's got damage. And it's like, he's got an easy win. Then there's a safety car. At the same time, you've got Hamilton on a charge. I would have put and, my um, house on Hamilton at, at one point in that Grand Prix. I don't know. It was about three quarters race distance. It was Hamilton's win all over. And I still don't quite know how it wasn't in the end. And I know we're not giving points on, on atmosphere in this category, but the atmosphere at Silverstone, when Hamilton, who had had a pretty turgid year up to this point, is suddenly arrives at Silverstone and looks like he's in the hunt for a win again, is just pumping in the lap times, fighting with the Ferraris. It was it was really, really good. Um, but in the end, he couldn't do it. Perez has been out of the race from the start with damage. Suddenly he gets a reprieve at the end. They all go wheel to wheel in those last laps, as Jack said. Epic fighting. And through it all, Science wins the Grand Prix again from pole but it doesn't tell most of the story. Mick that Schumacher's also... fighting with Verstappen on the final lap. That was that was a lot yeah. of fun. That looked like it had accident written all over it going into the final <laughs> corner. Um, somehow it didn't. But also we haven't mentioned a certain accident for Joe Guan Yu at the start of the race either. I mean, uh, we're talking drama. It, I mean, it's a sign of the incredible safety of these cars that he was okay. But that also saw George Russell out of the race because he jumped out of his car to go and check he was all right. I mean, there was so much going on. Yeah, I mean, George did cause the crash, but um, in good of him to go and check that the guy that flipped over the barriers was okay. Um, nice bit of sportsmanship. I didn't even notice that, that Joe had gone over the barriers when I was commentating on it because he, the car just disappeared. Mm. So they, I, you sort of, in the, in the moment, you're looking at the, the lead battle. I think Verstappen had jumped into the lead and um, the eyes on, on the guys at the front. Suddenly you realise there's a, a bit of a whopper further back. Cars are everywhere. There was a Ocon was hit. Um Maybe an Alpha Tari was was swiped and an album was out, wasn't he? Yeah, Seb went and there was the cars everywhere, and then only a little while later did we get word through that there's a bit of a serious one because Joe's flipped over the barrier, which was that would get points for drama. And I mean, it was it was great to see him getting out of that one. Yeah, when yeah, was I mean... the last time an F1 car cleared a barrier? Don't remember. Don't remember that in a long, long time. You see it a bit in like F3. I think Lucas Degrassi managed it about. 15 years ago but uh quite a rare one that yeah well, alex peroni landing on the uh on the barrier at parabolica a few years ago as well in uh yeah. in formula three but yeah we we do rarely see f1 cards reaching that point so uh great that joe was okay and yeah what a dramatic start to just an incredible race and the fact that then the racing kind of overshadowed that is i think testament to how that one went and then we come on to the last race on the shortlist which is the hungarian grand prix which is another one jack that you uh had to rewatch, but there was plenty going on in that too uh russell on pole for the first time verstappen starting 10th and not by design i'm not sure anyone could see this result coming after Saturday. 
I mean, Verstappen's spinning on the way to winning, Julian, in Budapest of all places. Uh, was Red Bull brilliant or did Ferrari throw that one away? I think both. Uh, Red Bull, this was when Red Bull was starting to look like a force in the races, weren't they? It was at the end of that summer run. There'd been Austria where they were not great. Silverstone was unknown because of the damage. But generally, we were getting the theme that Red Bull in the races were the team to beat. But Verstappen had had a, an issue and then a, a mistake in qualifying. So he was only 10th. Um, charged through very well. Ferrari, meanwhile, were at the front. Front Fighting with Russell was on pole. Again, a great job from him. And yeah, they were, they were fighting it out. Nice, nice battling. And then Ferrari shoved on the hard tyres. And Leclerc's race was basically done there. So that really killed off Verstappen's main rival, I think, in that Grand Prix. Um, but he did well, had a spin, still managed to pass Leclerc because his hard tyres were terrible. Um, and then you had Hamilton charging through at the end as well, getting a podium, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah. Up, up to second place, ahead of pole sitter Russell in third. I mean, Jack, when you did then watch it back, uh, there was plenty of overtaking and strategic moves that kind of shuffled the order. And it's, I guess it's the fact that we don't normally see that. We only have to go back 12 months where we had an equally dramatic race, but based on the fact that it was so hard to overtake. So it was, it was all different this year, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Last year, everyone smashed into each other. Well, Bottas smashed into everyone and Stroll had a bit of a go as well. And so the order was mixed up and then the order stayed that way because you couldn't pass really. Like Hamilton and Alonso had a bit of a tango, which was which was lovely. But broadly speaking, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that, uh, you know, the reason Ocon won was because he had the, the lead after the crashing. So, yeah, it was a it was a good race. I. I think this one's a tough one for, for I, I don't think I'm putting this in my top four races of the year. Personally, it was all right. It was all right. But I think you lost that jeopardy when Leclerc went onto the hards. I do wonder if you put Leclerc on mediums, is the result any different? I think there's an argument to say that with the Ferrari this year, Ferrari got, you know, a bit of strategy slamming here and there, but sometimes... I don't know if it would matter what you did. Like Monza was a good example. I don't know if they could have done anything in Monza to stop, you know, or maybe they could have pitted him later or maybe they could have extended or maybe they, by this point in the season, I don't know if the Red Bull was just faster and whatever happens, Red Bull are winning. But yeah, it was all right. All right, Hungary. All right. I, yeah, I, I, for me, it's not top four, but I enjoyed it. Well, off the back of that ringing endorsement, um, I'm going to put you both. <laughs> what is your top vote out of those four gonna jack not hungary which one of the other three is winning out of those options for you it's so silverstone it again. i, I mean got... if palmer says something different then i will eat my hat hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Palmer, you going to say something different? It's a two-horse race. I mean, Hungary, I agree. It, it was all right. Barcelona was all right. But there were two really good races this year that I think stand out. Jeddah was the one-on-one battle at the front between title rivals. It was a very different style of race to Silverstone where you had all the drama. You had so many different people that could win it at one point. And so I go for Silverstone oh. as well for that reason. But Jeddah was also good, but Silverstone was, was the best race for me. Well, Jack takes his hat out of his mouth. It was so close, but uh, never mind. Anyway, maybe they'll disagree on the next one because we're going to move on to Circuit of the Year, which could well have seen some of the races of the year, but we were avoiding double up here. So first up, Zanvoort. Now, you must have raced there in your junior career, Julian, I'm, I'm assuming. Everyone seemed to race at Zanvoort. You know, I had never even been to Zanvoort before this year. And I did a I did a track cycle with Lawrence Barreto on the Thursday. It was my, the first time I've ever been round Zandvoort at all. And it was lovely. Well, what did you make of that as a, a circuit then? Because they've done an incredible job to make it a raceable circuit, given the constraints of the layout, haven't they? Yeah, so I remember when Zandvoort was announced coming back on the calendar. And it was like, okay, this is really cool because it's an old school track coming back on. The Verstappen factor and the Dutch fans will make it really cool. But how good will the track be for racing? And then going around it, even on the bikes, it was you, you sort of got a sense for the flow of it, the cambers, the banking, which is really um, quite spectacular. And it does make for an okay racetrack. I think it gets points because of the atmosphere that the Dutch crowd create. I think if it's just somewhere else in a... You, you plonk that track in a place where you're not getting the spectators, I think it would be an average weekend. But because it's in the Netherlands, huge Dutch contingent there, make it a rocking atmosphere. And you've got, I, they've done a brilliant job with the circuit. I really like it. I thought, I thought Zanvoort was going to be dead basically once F1 announced it was going there because they'd flatten all the corners and they'd put in all the tarmac runoff, get rid of all the gravel because that's kind of what happens to F1 circuits. But for some reason, kind of like Saudi, no, it turns out it's fine. That we can, you know, let's do Brands Indy now. That's got no runoff and gravel everywhere. But uh, or the Brands Grand Prix, I should say. But um, so Zambor, I thought it had no chance of becoming a an F1 track. As it is, it's fine, and the track is exactly as it was, you know, before. Not in the seventies with the whole long loop, but you know, broadly speaking. And for me, it is the best race weekend of the year. It's my favorite race weekend of the year. It's overtaken. Ah. Oh, I think it's over. Yeah, I think it's overtaken. I think it's, well, it's up there with Austin and Monza for me. And it's very, very near the top. The atmosphere is unreal. Best sporting atmosphere I've ever been at. And I've been to some football games, not like any World Cup finals or anything, but I've done some Olympics. I was in the velodrome when England won gold in uh, London 2012 and stuff. So I've seen some cool stuff. But that atmosphere at Zambor is out of this world, out of this world. Beating the food of Austin and Monza ranking your favorite races based on the local yeah but yeah but but also it's so close to Amsterdam so you're staying in Amsterdam you stayed on the beach which was which was also very nice it was great the the vibes are unmatchable you guys are reading my notes because I've got amazing location to like you can access it easily by train from Amsterdam or go to the beach it's right next door I mean it I thought it was going to be welcome edition isn't it 
I thought it was going to be so dreary again. I'd never been there, didn't, and I was like, "There's, a, I know, Spa is an iconic racetrack. It's a bit of a dreary place. It's kind of nice in the in the forest, but it always rains. It's always cold, but it is an iconic track, and people should go. But I thought Zandvoort, old track, ne- neighboring country, and it was completely the opposite. On the beach, sun shining, raving from dawn <laughs> till dusk. It was it was so different to what I was imagining. Oh, and all of that adds energy to a race weekend, uh, which I think does even translate to people watching on TV. And there's another that we can probably say is just like that, that boasts incredible fans, and that's Suzuka. The Japanese supporters are incredible, but it's also just one of the most amazing layouts in motorsport, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, absolutely unrivaled. And uh, I remember the first time I was able to go out and about on track when F1 cars were, were going round. And you go down to, I think the one that, amazed me the worst was turn two exit of turn two you're just standing there and they're coming charging in at you know 190 miles an hour or whatever and they just don't slow down through turn one it's just it's just like because obviously they are keeping it flat and you're like that's almost 90 degrees that corner and then it's hammering on the brakes into two and then off they go into the into the s's that was the first part where you're like wow and then up at the degnas was cool and blah 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 but that deceleration into into one and two was just wild and the fans are amazing and it's just cool. Japan's just cool. Um, and you always, yeah, okay, you know, the classic, why do we go there in rainy season? Who knows? But I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's, it's great every year, Japan. Well, you mentioned rainy season. I mean, Julian, it didn't provide an epic race this season in terms of the weather, uh, curtailing half of what we were hoping to see. But it does regularly provide drama, doesn't it? It must be a driver's favourite. Yeah, I, I mean, I love driving it. It was is is a brilliant circuit, just so flowing. You've got still some opportunities to overtake, but it's not an absolute given. And we saw that, especially with no DRS in in the wet part of the race or the wet race. Um, and I I don't mind the fact that it's in rainy season. Honestly, it was a shame this year that we we had a shortened race, and that that was a shame. Um, and the way that it was obviously the championship decider, but it was decided in a bit of an odd fashion as well, where no one knew that Max Verstappen was champion really after he'd crossed the line. Um, so there are a couple of things that were not perfect about the weekend, but the track itself is fantastic to drive. I kind of like that the weather can be unpredictable there. I don't. I think racing in these places, like Brazil can be the same. Um, racing in, when you go to the desert in, in the Middle East, you've never got that jeopardy of the looking at the clouds and changeable conditions. Um, and that's what made Brazil so good this year as well with the qualifying. Uh, Japan is like that. It's cool. Great track. Amazing fans. The wackiest fans of the year by far. Yeah, they are. They are pretty special. I like the way we're starting to uh, stem down the criteria for circuit of the year on weather conditions. But um, even though it was wet, <laughs> it all it all plays its part. It does. It does. Yeah. But and the racing was still good that we got in the wet part of the race, wasn't it, at Suzuka? Because if you think of okay, the the drama and controversy between Leclerc and Perez at the end with the pressure he's putting on, but that amazing finish between Vettel and Alonso as well with the drag race to the line. I mean, the the track seemed to still provide good close racing, maybe even helped by this new new rules. Whoever wants Yeah, it. I'd like to see I'd like to see Suzuka in the dry with the with the new rules next year. That'll be quite interesting because like you say overtaking is kind of doable, but you've got to be pretty brave into into one and then it's tricky to 
you know, on that run, that long run down off the off the back straight. Because I don't think they do do they they don't do DRS, do they, down to the chicane? Because one thirty R's in the in the middle of it. So you always think if if you had DRS there, maybe you'd get a bit more. But yeah, Suzuka in the dry with these new cars. I think we were all quite looking forward to that. And then obviously it rained. It, it didn't put on the best show in terms of the Sunday, but still was a, a cracking re- weekend. And we were spoiled at that point with a run of great races and great venues. With Circuit of the Americas up next, and Austin just seems to have it all. Now, I know, Jack, you've already talked about the fact this is one of your favourites, so I'm going to start with Jolien. Huge crowd, a track that drivers appear to enjoy, and the ability to race closely too. Yeah, another perfect blend, isn't it? I think Austin, it's a it's a great city for a race anyway, or the track just outside the city. Um, the, pa- the the fans are so passionate, and they really, they, they understand their Formula 1 now. It was quite a big difference, I'd say, in in the feel of Austin and Miami, obviously very different cities, but you really got the sense that Austin was more an old school Formula One race now. And we've had, what, 10 years going to Austin. It feels quite cemented on the calendar. And the track is great. It's a really good, fast flowing track, some big braking zones, chances to overtake. It is, I mean, they they literally took the first sector of Silverstone for inspiration. um, And, or the, the first sector of Austin is the Maggots Beckett's bit. And it's a great combination of corners. So it works again. The same with the quadruple right-hander. Turn eight in Turkey is a great combination of corners. And they sort of put them together and added in some big hairpins. And it's a it's a great track. And the, the fans really add to the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, Jack, we saw a record attendance of 440,000 over the race weekend. And then we had moments like the clerks pass on Perez into turn 12. You had Vettel and Magnussen on the final lap. Uh, you must be a fan of, a big fan of Cota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge. I think that uh, it was certainly the biggest I've seen F1 in America. Obviously, we had a few COVID years and I and I didn't go last year because of COVID, I think, still as well. But there were some restrictions and stuff. And um, so, yeah, it was easily the biggest Austin crowd I've seen. And the whole... Oh, it was just rammed. It was just absolutely rammed. I went up after... I think it was in between FP3 and Quali. Walked up Phil hill to get a burger and chips and stuff and it was just it was just That's phenomenal why he loves to see Austin. everyone yeah exactly Austin, look burgers are a big part of it there's no there's no denying that um and tacos actually really good mexican food but um i think that yeah it's it's just superb and that that's uh, leclerc perez move was that in contention for overtake of the season because i loved that move i thought it, it was phenomenal was, it was indeed yeah that's on the short it's on the short le- let me plug Great. the shortlist once again uh, over best overtake of the year that is one of the four options as is Hamilton on Perez and Leclerc at Silverstone uh, there was a bit of arguments going on that uh, Leclerc around the outside of Hamilton at Cops wasn't on there um, and the other two are escaping me right now so they're the two I'm going to plug but everyone can go and vote <laughs> at motorsportmagazine.com for best overtake when they're done listening to us here we've still got one more circuit to talk about on the best circuit shortlist moving on to Interlagos now, I had the Sao Paulo Grand Prix down for one of the races of the year. Uh, a bit like you, Jack, you were mentioning it earlier. I mean, across the whole weekend, it was brilliant. But it's a fair point that it also delivers so regularly. Uh, and it's no surprise it gets sprint events now. I mean, Jack, it's just a classic venue, isn't it? That just seems to always provide drama. Yeah, and the it's got that natural amphitheater vibe where it's all in a bit of a bowl. And there's no, there's nothing there's no Mickey Mouse part 
of the circuit to to my mind, which is which is quite cool. Oh, is there Palmer? Which which bit? The middle sector is basically Mickey Mouse, but it's. Do you think it's? Oh, is it, it's does also it feel fine. Mickey Mouse? Oh, okay. Because to me, it's not. It's not like what, a through Pico de Pato. Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, those corners are a bit. They're not like a real driver's corner coming through. You got Ferradura, the right-hander, and then I guess it's only three. Just the tight right, easy to lock up. Downhill left, scrabble around there, up to the top, lock your front right into that. That is the uh, Pico de well, Pato. Just try locking up a bit less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can't there. That's the blooming problem. They're all just tricky corners in the middle. But the first the first sector, nice. Overtaking possibilities, great. And it is a nice track overall. Yeah, so my point is not sort of like uh, clinical hairpins after a long back straight that's all designed, you know, with overtaking. You know, it all feels quite natural. I don't know. Ignore that bit then. But also, <laughs> I was listening to a... Uh, um, this is going to sound a bit stupid now. But I was listening to a podcast with Sergei Sete Camera on it, the Brazilian uh, Formula Two racer, former Formula Two racer. And he was saying when Massa left uh, F1, he was really concerned about the future of kind of F1 and motorsport in Brazil because they wouldn't have a driver to, to follow. But the numbers are up in Brazil. Everyone's watching it more and, you know, support is for the or you know, interest is still the same. And I think that is often a really great um, indicator of what a great circuit is, right? In the way that Silverstone, even if, okay, it's through the roof now, but even if there's no British drivers, you know you're pretty much selling out Silverstone and you're getting 120,000 on race day, even if there's no British drivers right at the front. Because we had that in, I mean, okay, Hamilton was there a bit in sort of 12, 13, but, you know, not particularly and I think that is, the same is true, obviously, in Japan. And I think the same is now true in in Brazil. where And the same is true at Circuit of the Americas, to be honest, because no American race driver ever, but it's absolutely packed. So for me, that's a... And this isn't intended as a sort of backhanded dig at Zamvort or anything like that. But I think it's really cool when you see the the passion for 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 motorsport that exists, even if there isn't a partisan element to it. It's such a shame you forgot Alexander Rossi's outing for Manor at Cota, but never mind. I meant currently. Uh, I meant currently. <laughs> you said ever, but ever, never mind. It's not. They, maybe they were there for Logan Sargent's FP1. I mean, what an outing yeah, it was. Um, or Alex Palau's as the IndyCar champion. But uh, genuinely, though, you do actually make a good point, Jack, because the noise the Brazilian fans were making for Hamilton during the weekend was insane. Uh, and even more so after Russell's win, when the Mercedes drivers came onto the pit wall to celebrate, uh, the crowd were making a heck of a racket down on the track. I mean, what are the aspects of Interlagos that, that you like, Jolien? The slow corners. He loves uh, the slow corners. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. See that yeah. I think the, the main thing is that I just think the ability to race, to have a good race there. You come out of the um, Junsao and then you've got all the way that the long left-hand drag up into turn one is just one of the best overtaking places on the calendar. If you don't get it done there, which is a quite a late breaking move as well into the first corner, you then run through the center rest and have another go into um, into turn four. And I've forgotten the name of that one. But Cedar de Lago. I just think, yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a great racetrack. You do get a sense of, of flavour of Brazil there. You know, the crowd is always very good. Um, and again, you know, the weather can rain. It's just, it's just 
got a lot of different things that can that can throw up curveballs and that's exactly what happened this year with the you know what i don't think i don't think the race this year is race of the year i don't think it's i think it's there with with spain and hungary to be honest but i think the weekend is what makes it dramatic the weekend was incredible the sprint was really good wasn't it the qualifying was obviously the qualifying of the year if that was a, a category it'll be a slam dunk then the race itself was 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 all right. It probably wasn't actually as good as the other ones, but the weekend there in Brazil was just phenomenal. And I think that, that it's similar to what you have at Silverstone, right? As you have so many opportunities to go either way when you're making a an overtake. I think coming into we saw people go around the outside at the center S's, and then you have the inside for the second part, or you can go to the inside if the guy doesn't cover the inside, or you can go outside at turn four, which acceptably is a little bit more dodgy, but it's the same. With Silverstone, you can be on the outside going into the loop and that you can get the cut back or you can be on the outside into Stowe or, you know, that's the the mark of, to me, of great racetracks is it's not just, you know, Circuit of the Americas down into turn, uh, what is it, 11. Like, you've just got to get the inside, really, or you can't get the move done. Whereas Brazil and Silverstone, there's so many opportunities and different ways of going about it, which I think is something that I'm always surprised you see you don't see as much in the new sort of tilkadromes that they don't sort of build for that almost. Well, one final question for you both on Interlagos before I'm going to get you to choose uh, which circuit wins for you out of this shortlist. But we've had teammate issues at that track pretty regularly. If we look at the ones that we had this year with Ocon and Alonso, uh, we had Vettel and Stroll in the sprint nearly taking each other out. Obviously, Verstappen and Perez, but then in the past, we've had it. Vettel and Weber had it. Vettel and Leclerc collided for Ferrari. I'm saying Seb's name a lot, aren't I? But why does <laughs> yeah, that I think you the found case the common, at one venue? The common thing. <laughs> I, I think it comes down to Brazil is one of the last races on the calendar. I think if you put Brazil at the start of the year, everyone is so much more behaved. I mean, if you take Alonso and Ocon. If that Jeddah one had happened in Brazil and the Brazil one had happened in Jeddah, they're going to be best of mates after Brazil and hating each other after Jeddah. But it's just end of the year. You let your hair down. Everything that's started to annoy you in the in the season builds. You get to the end of the year, especially if you're leaving the team um, like Vettel. I think he was at Ferrari, wasn't he, that year? Or no, maybe he stayed for another year with the Leclerc moment. But they had had a bit of tension. Uh, Alonso's obviously leaving Alpine and was came out swinging in Brazil. Um and I just think it just things boil over at the end of the year. And it's, it's the mixture of that plus it's a track that you, you can race. So you get teammates running together. It's a short lap. Difference in qualifying is, is very tight. Um, and so the pack is, is so close. Teammates are often together and you can race each other and you're already pissed off with the guy from 10 <laughs> races ago or something. So it just spills over, I think, at that time. But it's nice. It's good drama. Points for drama. Yeah. And there's a reason we don't see it in Abu Dhabi because you're not wheel to wheel with your your teammate necessarily quite so much or quite as easily as you can be in Brazil. Oh, good answers. Who'd have thought we'd have finished on such an impressively analytical note? But now to the controversial <laughs> bit. You both have to pick circuit of the year from that shortlist. Jack, who are you going for? Zambor. Just uh, it's just. The atmosphere is unreal. The track is superb and old school, like properly old school. And that's the end. 
Julian? You're not going to believe it. No way. I'm going Zamfor. I'm going Zamfor. Something weird's happened today. I honestly, wow. I was ready to just, I was ready to disagree with you on this. But so Brazil, I think it had the benefit of, it's between the two. Brazil had the benefit of being a sprint weekend. Without the sprint, Friday's an, an FP2 washout and you're getting a normal qualifying in a race. Zamfor didn't have any of that. And it was just on pure track had a good race with with Hamilton and Russell and Verstappen and then the crowd and everything in an old school circuit. I give it to Zanvoort. Stunning. Right. Well, there you have it. Your options for the race of the year and best circuit in 2022. And you can feel free to disagree with Julian Palmer and Jack Nichols, who uh, somehow... Are you allowed to disagree, Medland? Uh, Or are you not allowed to give your opinion? I've already given mine, is that I thought Brazil should have been in for race of the year. Um, I, I probably, I see, I think this is a good shortlist on the circuit of the year. I think there's <laughs> good candidates in there. I might well have gone for Cota, 440,000 people there. Um, and for a track to feel like it's now an old school venue that's been around for a while when it's only 10 years old, I think it's actually very hard to do. Um, do you do these, do you do the same category next year? Cause the circuit of the year is not going to change, is it really? Unless you get a new <laughs> one, come on. Part. I imagine Cota is also going to be about 440,000 people. The layout's not going to change. Maybe we'll get bumpier over a harsh winter, but <laughs> well, they're all going that. to still be good next but, year, aren't but they? But what That's if the, other the venues up it. their game? What if other circuits suddenly just you know have a, a better atmosphere there or they, they change something, whatever it may be? I'm, I'm not here making those rules. I'm just here trying to keep you two in check. So um, I check back next year and find out. That's how we can plug it. But uh, if anyone is going to vote, you've got to go to motorsportmagazine.com to cast your vote. Uh, and you've got to do it by the 22nd of December. That's the deadline. So if you're listening to us after that, uh, I don't know why. It's all over. You can read the results and you don't need to put up with us chatting away for 45 minutes. But uh, thank you anyway for doing so. Uh, also, if you want to vote on anything else, we've got team of the year, best driver and best overtake. Plus, you can vote on the Hall of Fame shortlist. Now, my thanks to Julian Palmer and to Jack Nichols for joining us. There'll be more special episodes on the different shortlists wherever you get your podcast from. Take a listen to those and don't forget to get voting. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.